0: Southern Skies online media
1: <laughs> Plane Crazy Down Under is proudly brought to you by Oz Aus Runways, Australia's ultimate CASA approved electronic flight bag for iPad. Try it free for the first 30 days. Ozrunways.com And by the Australian Aerobatic Academy, the leaders in primary and advanced flight training at Bankstown and Wollongong. See how they can take your proficiency to the next flight level at aeroacademy.com.au.
0: Well, g'day folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 116 of Australia's Aviation Show. You know, I was going to say uh, welcome back and happy new year like I normally do, but uh, quite frankly, the way we're going, it's going to be the middle of the year. So I'll just say I'm Steve Vischer and welcoming back Grant McCarron. Now, Grant, uh, as I welcome you back to the show, there's something different about you, mate. You look different. What's 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 changed? Um, I had my hair done. Ah, uh, that's it. That's it. Yes. And you had it done for your wedding. Uh, dang it. I was hoping to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> what, avoid the wedding or the topic? No, the topic. <laughs> (laughs) Well, that's too bad. Tell us all about it. No, no, don't tell us all the details. (laughs) Oh, thanks
2: mate. No, the, uh, yes, the wedding did actually happen. Uh, those of you who have any connection with my good self on the, uh, Facebooks, uh, would have seen photos posted by everyone, but Kit and I, um, everyone else has been posting photos, but, uh, the two of us were just too busy, um, having fun and actually saying, well, yeah, we do. Uh, we were very, very tempted to, uh, given, you know, many weddings run too long and have too much dross and so on. We were very, very tempted to, uh, just go through a very short one and do the, um, Spaceballs variant which is do you yes do you yes right kisser, but yeah in discussions with our celebrant a friend of ours from way back uh she was like look i'd love to do that but unfortunately we have certain legal requirements so we put together a a little ceremony that was quite short uh had the the minimum required and uh yeah had a bit of fun in it as well There was a bit of audience participation um especially comments from the peanut gallery aka my father um, (laughs) it, it all seemed to go well and everyone really seemed to enjoy it there was lots of laughter and fun and um yeah, agreement that uh, away we went. And Kit looked absolutely lovely, of course.
0: She looks stunning, um, I will say. Now, I'm no uh, fashion aficionado, but she looked absolutely stunning. Yeah, it was a
2: uh, 30s style. So she had her hair done in a, a wonderful 30s look that really um, set off her face and a wonderful red dress. And myself, uh, there was supposed to be a uh, double-breasted, uh, wide-shouldered 30s style suit, but it was too dang hot at well over 30 degrees Celsius <laughs> so, in the evening. So, yeah, just, just the, the pants and shirt and hat type of thing and the, the braces, of course. But it was a lot of fun. It looked really good. Uh, I managed to uh, restrain you from live streaming it. Uh, you did, of course, tweet it, but... Um, oh, come yeah, on. Man. You
0: wouldn't have had it any other way, I <laughs> um,
2: I would have been missing various parts of my anatomy if you'd tried to live stream it,
0: that's for sure. Yeah, No, no, no. I wasn't going to cross the... I was gonna, I I wasn't going to cross that threshold, but, uh, no, it was good. And, <laughs> you uh, you know, you to yeah, You know, it was supposed to be a 1930s theme, and you know I don't like doing things like dress-ups and fancy dress, but uh, we did that day, and I came as a daggy 1930s-style journo.
2: And you looked so good in the part.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, mate. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you had the press
2: card and everything. It looked great.
0: Well, congratulations, mate. So as I said in the last episode, it's about bloody time you got married. You've been talking about it forever. <laughs> well, while well, you've been doing that, Grant, I've been away uh, having surgery. In fact, uh, folks, if you ever decide just on a whim to have a knee reconstruction, I wouldn't recommend it. Boy, what a painful experience that is. But we won't talk a bit about that later. I want to thank uh, some people for uh, helping me out through that uh, rather painful experience. But uh, we'll talk a bit about that later on. But this is not a wedding show or a, a medical show, Grant. This is, in fact, an aviation show. You almost wouldn't know it. Oh, so it means it must be time to talk about the weather. <laughs> let's talk about the weather. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Grant, uh, one one uh, aspect of aviation that I think is probably more sensitive to the weather than most is, uh, you know, the, the art of hot air ballooning. And uh, Grant, I noticed here in the media this week that uh, hot air balloons have uh, been in the media for all the right or perhaps wrong reasons. But uh, oh, tell man. us about it, mate. I know you want to vent your spleen a bit, but uh, <laughs> let, let's have a little bit of a talk about uh, what happened. There was a, a balloon from the company that, uh, with full disclosure, that you work for, but you weren't flying, that uh, came down in a place. It probably wasn't uh, planning to originally.
2: No, uh, they were targeting a park nearby. The winds went uh, light and variable and uh, got a bit vague and washy, as we like to say. And uh, they wound up putting down into a front yard of a house, quite a tight squeeze. Uh, They were actually in the process of pulling down the balloon when um, a policeman arrived and said, hang on, you've got... A lot of stuff around here, a crowd. And it took a little while of discussions with him. He was waiting for the uh, fire engines to show up and they never did, despite a couple of calls. Eventually it was decided, yes, we are going to pull this down because it was starting to become a hazard. Uh, but of course, during all that time, there was lots of tweets, lots of YouTube videos and lots of discussion online, plus the media picking it up. And of course, the media in this sensationalist mode that they apparently have to do to get uh, readers and visitors and so on, went over the top and were calling it an emergency, a disaster and all this kind of stuff. So of course, everyone loves bad news on a slow news day and it went all round the place so we we had a bit of fun dealing with that of course, there's an incident report. There's lots of uh, paperwork required. And so I was quite busy looking after that as well. Uh, being our maintenance person, I was also looking after the balloon. It was relatively intact. Everything was fine. It was just a couple of minor rips in it. Uh, but of course, they have to be patched. All the passengers were fine. They had a blast.
0: They thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so, it's just something to talk about.
2: Yeah. Oh, look, it was all, it all went for fine. And, and they've all been telling their friends there was never any issue and so on. Um, of course, two days later, another company's hot air balloon lands at Xavier College Again, not a usual landing spot, but it was on the Oval. It was towards the edge of the Oval, not right in the middle of it. Someone posts a, a photo saying, oh, look, you know, Balloon, um, I think this actually said um, crash landing or something at uh, Xavier because, you know, many people don't realise that balloons can land anywhere they, where they want, where there's a nice bit of field and so on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do have permissions from various councils, schools, things like that. We do a lot of landowner relations. And so one of the media companies Picked that up and went and changed that to emergency landing again, which... Our CEO is also the uh, media liaison for all the commercial ballooning operators in Australia. So he was spending a lot of time over the last couple of days uh, working with the media to advise them on the definition of an emergency. And, you know, unless the pilot declares an emergency or the emergency services declare a major emergency, it's not an emergency. It's mm-hmm. out of the norm. It's something different. But, you know, no one was ever in danger. There was no hassles. But look, this is this is yet another follow on from the whole thing of the media where, you um, the media and aviation don't always get on well. We've seen the famous Blowmaster incident, uh, the C-17 Blowmaster. Yeah, good one, guys. That was someone not doing their research despite having been given information by the RAF mm. at uh, Avalon. There's the classic one of um, the jettisonable wings or a Cessna, light Cessna venting fuel, you know, jettisoning fuel before landing. All these kind of things, you know. Uh, There's all those ones and this is just an extension of that problem that the media is in an unfortunate situation where their budget's been cut. They don't have as much staff to help out, to do research, to do uh, assistance and looking at things and editing and so on. A lot of roles are being outsourced overseas. They're under a lot of pressure to be 24-7. They're under a lot of pressure to get people in and they're also being told to sensationalize as the way to get eyeballs. Uh, Steve, you and I were talking offline previously There's been some media groups that have tried to actually do things in a constructive and thoughtful, researched, dare I say it, educated manner and their ratings have bombed.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, and I would cite, uh, in fact, if you're here in Australia, that uh, would be a current affair. I think about 10 years ago, they tried to do that. They brought back uh, you know, Ray Martin and went back to their, their old style, uh, proper news of the day type format, and it lasted one or two months, and it absolutely bombed. So now we have the, the usual crap that's on on that show, and that's just a, one example of, of the way things are going. So um, you know, I think uh, most people that want to get uh, uh, you know an informed view of, of any particular uh, subject, not only aviation or whatever, um, seem to do better out of new media, quite frankly, and uh, not that we're claiming that we're uh, experts in everything. If you've heard our (laughs) disclaimer over the last 115 episodes, you'd know that. But, uh, you know, we do try and do a bit of fact-checking before we we get stuff out. And we always know that if we get, uh, you know, something wrong, that, uh, you know, members of the audience will let us know and we always offer a correction. But, uh, yeah, there's a particular talk radio host here in Melbourne that uh, doesn't like hot air balloons, and boy, did he get stuck into you, Grant. But, uh, you know, we won't go down that path (laughs) because...
2: Yeah, he was having a bit of a bit of a go at us, and uh,
0: look, it it doesn't take
2: too much to tip people over the edge. And look, I know a friend who was uh, using the phrase the sensationalists taking quotes from the clueless to advise the gullible, you know, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know, there's there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, honestly, I think the, the media are in a very similar situation to the uh, budget airlines and low-cost carriers in that it is we, the consuming public, that have caused the problems that we're now all bitching about. We, you know, as you said about uh, show ratings, uh, tanking, when they tried to do thoughtful and uh, analytic journalism, we, the... The people voted with our feet and went for the crappy kind of lowbrow sensationalist soundbite crud that we currently have. So if we want to change it, like if we want to change seat pitch issues and service and quality and hashels with low-cost airlines, we have to step up to the plate and start making the change ourselves. And I think that's a major thing here with the media. It's very similar to those low-cost carriers. And you know what? I think I can feel a blog post coming on about this.
0: Well, I think you've been doing a lot of blog posting lately, actually, mate, but uh, enough editorialising for now. Let's let's get away from uh, stuff like that. I think just to uh, make a summary of that, that uh, nobody was hurt, everybody walked away. Uh, Xavier College, you mentioned there, Grant, that's actually uh, quite close into Melbourne, a rather exclusive uh, school in uh, inner Melbourne. But uh, as you say, That was all planned for them to go in there. So, you know, never let the facts get in the way of a good story, I guess. But
2: uh. (laughs) That's the one, mate. And look, you know, it's, it's just an education thing. We need to learn more about how the media works so we can interface with them. We've already done a lot of work in trying to streamline things and get it right. We need to remind them to contact the people to get the official word as well and do some quick research before they suddenly hit, you know, retweet or things like that. Because coming from a media voice, it carries weight. So if they use words and don't understand the situation, they can make things a lot worse. And I think it's a responsibility on both sides, and there's a lot of people stepping up to it. And As you said, no one was hurt. It was a lot of fun and uh, very interesting. And on a slow news day, everyone jumped all over it. But, you know, on with the show, mate.
0: Absolutely. And don't, don't stress too much, mate. And hot air balloons uh, don't get anywhere near the sort of attention that, you know... <clears throat> public transport and railways do in this town.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we don't quite have the political overtone of uh, public transport, do we?
0: Mm, And most commentary on that is just as ill-informed, I might say. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about what's coming up in this episode very shortly. We're going to be talking to Matt Hall about the uh, return of the Red Bull air race season. He's going to be telling us all about that, I'm sure. And a bit later on in the show, Grant, we're going to be presenting some uh, audio that uh, Stephen Pam and ATC Ben recorded recently at uh, RAF Base Williams there at Point Cook, uh, talking about about the upcoming Centenary of Military Aviation air show And uh, boy, uh, if you haven't already seen the video that we've put up on uh, most of our social media spaces, get away and have a look at that. Those guys, if you think I was raving about my Herc ride, Grant, um, those guys I think have trumped me.
2: They were certainly having a lot of fun, mate. And uh, yeah, they uh, they took great advantage of the fact that you were recovering from your surgery and I was away uh, near Canberra getting ready to get married and uh, they jumped all over the opportunity to go fly on a C-130. So I think that, let's see, you, Kathy, 80, Ben and Stephen Pam have all had a C 130 ride. Damien Roses had the C 17. (laughs) Uh, Kathy got the Taipan helicopter. Anthony Crichton Brown got the Black Hawk. I think it's time for me to get another media ride, mate.
0: And uh, did you see the list of military aircraft that Jonesy's flown in? I think he's flown in, well, all of them actually. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No no media rides for him. (laughs) <laughs> no that's media. why he's over in WA, mate. He's too far away.
0: But, <laughs> <laughs> no media rides for you, Jonesy, I tell you. Stay down there and do editing. <laughs> anyway, uh, waiting patiently on the line to tell us all about the Red Bull Air Race season that's uh, coming up. As I mentioned, uh, Australia's uh, participant, of course, all-round good guy, and the very first person we ever interviewed on this show, Matt Hall, and he joins us now. G'day, Matt.
3: Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, Matt, now how many times have we bumped into you over the, the intervening years between Red Bull Air Race seasons and saying, you know, is it coming back? Is it coming back? Well, finally, it's back. Fantastic.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, been a number of times, and it's actually good that it's back because I was, I was about to get a tattoo on my forehead that says, I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's been asked that many times. So, um, so yeah, now it's, uh, it's all happening, and uh, I've got something to concentrate on again.
0: Uh, that's fantastic. Now it kicks off on the twenty eighth of February and uh, a slightly shorter race season it seems. Uh, I think there's only eight races in this season. It seems to me perhaps a, a proof or maybe a reproof of, of concept for the air race.
3: Um yeah, possibly. Um but um funnily enough it's actually a bigger season that I've ever raced in. Yeah, you know, we only you know, the two years that I was in it, um, I think they both started off as nine race seasons, but in the end there were only six races uh held, so if they actually get all the races uh, up and running it's um, it's one of the biggest seasons they've actually completed which is one of the things i're aiming at was getting some security that when someone signed up for a race uh, they're going to have the race rather than last time um, people would get a lot of advertising. There's going to be a race on them pull out at the last moment.
0: Yeah, I guess there's been a lot of talk here, um, you know, from people that are the fans of the race and obviously disappointed that it's not coming back to Australia this time. But I guess my hope personally is that, um, you know, if, if it really uh, proves a success in 2014, then it might create a bit of an impetus for an expansion and maybe it will come back here to Australia.
3: Oh, yeah. I think the intent is that, Well, um, in fact, there's no doubt the, the intent is that uh, the race... Is coming back and it's coming back to stay. Um, you know, there's there's always a risk in uh, in anything as a, as a restart. Um, but they've put a lot of effort in uh, into making this thing be bigger and better and faster than it was last time. And they're signing up, um, you know, basically everything that gets signed up at the moment goes gets signed up on a three-year deal. So um, they're effectively saying we've got three years to get this uh, happening, so it's a self-sustaining uh, model, and Australia is part of that uh, three-year plan. So I'm reasonably confident that um, there's going to be something uh, in Australia um, in the not-too-distant future.
0: Well, that's so, excellent. Now, of course, uh, we know that, uh, that you've been very busy doing you know, the air show and the promotional work and everything else. Do you keep in much contact with uh, people like Hannah Sark and Peter Beznay and all those people that I notice here on the uh, Red Bull Air Race website that it's the same lineup as the last season pretty much? Um, do you keep in contact with those guys?
3: Yeah, yeah, we um, yeah we've stayed in contact uh, quite a bit. Yeah, you know, so, some guys more than others. Yeah, we, I, I caught up with them all. Um, it was uh, last June, I think it was when. I was over in Slovenia racing, um, you know, doing yeah, basically trialling all the new systems and uh, all of the all the old race pilots were there. And we, you know, I stay in touch, um, yeah, with, with certain race pilots. I'm I'm um, yeah, almost in daily uh, daily contact with, and have been in daily contact with um, yeah, since uh, since it all stopped. So um, yeah, we're we're a reasonably tight bunch of guys. You know, you end up you end up finding your, you yeah know, you your favourite two or three guys that you communicate with more than the others. But, uh, you know, we we are all on group emails and uh, share our thoughts and um, already share a little bit of um, competition uh, trivia and and slamming each other. So (laughs) (laughs) it's already on, that's for sure.
2: Now, Matt, you mentioned you were in uh, Slovenia in June last year. Was that the uh, first of the workup? Sessions? How have you gone for getting back into the swing to be ready for racing?
3: Yeah, you're right. That was one. That was the first uh, training session. They had two training sessions. Um, the first one was mainly to get all of the previous race pilots back up to speed uh, and you know, address all um, all of the new stuff and look at new pylons and new uh, new rules and get all of our opinions. And that um, that flying session went pretty well. Like, so we basically. They just used European based aircraft so I flew Nigel lambs MXS and uh, it, it was one of those things that um, you sort of wonder have I forgotten how to race and uh, I was actually the first first guy down the chute on uh, on the first day we flew in the <laughs> track and um, yeah I briefed myself hey I'll just you know take it casual I've got five minutes in the track I'll just take it pretty casual and uh, fly above the pylons I did one lap above the pylons yeah when, when I say above the pylons you know I'm probably you know between one and two feet above them so. <laughs> Um, yeah but we're measuring pretty closely at that point point. Uh, and then it's like um, I'm pretty happy so then I flew around the next lap you know at the you know around the, the top of the colored bit and there's like yeah I'm, I'm ready so uh, the final lap of that first five minute training session I flew it as a racetrack right down in the guts of the um, of the high uh, the band and um, you know, it felt really nice to be back in it.
2: And have there been many other sessions since then?
3: Um, they had one more session uh, which they held after the uh, World Aerobatic Championships uh, over in the US uh, but that session was for the challenges that they're bringing in a new class which is um, basically a, you know, a rookie cup for another word for it um, and that, uh, that was really just getting all those guys up to speed for a second run through plus a couple of new guys and... Also, it was for Pete McLeod to um, to regain his qualification as a race pilot because in the first one he'd just uh, broken his leg in a skydiving mishap. So, uh, <laughs> first time back in the track. So, uh, there's only been the two uh, the two training sessions. You know, we've obviously been doing a lot of training back home here in Australia and. We've got one more training session uh, in the lead-up to the Abu Dhabi race where we'll be training in the UAE in a, um, a bit of a private training track where all the pilots and our race gear and, and all of the, all of the uh, telemetry and cameras and yeah, full dress rehearsal with media and everything, like internal media, um, but it won't be broadcast or uh, publicised, what we're doing there, and we'll do that for five days before we then fly into, um, into the racetrack at Abu Dhabi to race.
2: Okay so how have you been uh, training back here in Australia have you got pylons you've set up or are you using trees at home or anything like that I mean yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's um so we yeah, training is um comes in a lot of uh, aspects so there's yeah you know, there's physical and mental training so obviously yeah you know, you know, back in the gym, you know, doing probably two to three hours a day at the moment, so I'm generally quite fatigued. Um, there's the, the mental training that you know, I'm back having regular uh, contact with sport, my sports psychologist and working through routines and disciplines to make sure that uh, you know, I'm happy with, uh, with where I'm at. And then there's the training with the team, just making sure that you know everything from um, yeah you know, the bookkeeping through to um, you know how I get strapped into the cockpit is um is all good. And then uh, obviously the final part of the training is actually me being in the plane and um, and practicing racing. and for that that side of things, you know I've obviously maintained my currency in the aircraft and um, yeah, you know, doing yeah you know, we're we're using the MXS, which I've been displaying around Australia for the last number of years, so I'm pretty comfortable in that plane now. and uh what we did is we just set up a, um, a basic racetrack that I designed myself um, just south of Maitland Airfield uh, in a low-flying area there. And um, it was not around trees, but it was above certain certain geographical points that were quite obvious to me um, that I could recognize very quickly without having to look for them. Okay. So effectively flying around at 100 feet, and then we actually debriefed that using our telemetry system to have something to aim at, so I was actually improving my times in the track and then the team, I'd get back and do a full, full turn around to uh, be airborne again you know, somewhere between uh, 12 and 20 minutes later uh, to go out and fly the same track again. So we've done full dress rehearsals of racing here in Australia for the first time ever, so that was a, that was a pretty cool thing to do.
2: Um, a couple of other things I know from uh, previous seasons, uh, you had some hassles with your back, you even had an operation and so on. How's all the training going for making sure your back and neck and, and everything are are in top top condition to support the uh, g loading.
3: Yeah, it's one of those things that you know, I've I've always had to work hard on my um my strength and um, in one of our first team meetings we had in July when we were you know, we were told back in July that the race was on but keep it a, keep it a secret so <laughs> um so we had a, a team meeting back in July and we you know we we uh, we wrote down all of our strengths and weaknesses etc and um, yeah you know, a weakness that kept appearing was that oh, I was a I was a pivotal failure point of the company and the race team. That if uh, if I'm injured, you know everyone's out of a job. So um, <laughs> so we, we had to uh, you know we've we identified that you know where my you know where my issues are and that you know everyone knows I've I've previously had to have back surgery, um, you know which has been brought around by the. Twenty odd years of flying high G mm-hmm. um, high performance aircraft, so we've been doing a, a lot of a lot of work in the gym and a huge amount of walking. Um, I just uh, this week or this last week had a full MRI from tip to toe to oh, look wow. at how uh, everything's going in there. So we're 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 keeping a pretty um, close eye on everything. Um, yep. The good news is that I um, yeah you know, five years ago when I started racing, I had the back of a fifty year old. Now I've got the back of a
0: 52-year-old, so I'm slightly catching up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Must be nice. all that helicopter flying you've been doing in the meantime.
3: Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm not sure if that helps or hinders.
2: Mate, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something else that was uh, causing you a bit of a problem previously, especially for the famous uh, water event at Windsor, was the distractions. You were you acknowledged that you were trying to do too much and allowing the uh, running the operation and, and all that kind of stuff to distract you from actually racing the race. Uh you took a lot of uh, lessons on board from that one. Uh, have they carried over, and, and have you found more more ways to improve your separation from those distractions?
3: Yeah, definitely. That's that's been a big part of it as well. Um, yeah, you know, one of the first people that contacted me uh, after my event in Windsor was Larry Perkins, who um, he rang me and said, "Mate, you know, I know exactly where you're at. You know, this is how I nearly killed myself in a race car with you know trying to run my own team." you know run the budget run the finances uh you know book yeah. the flights and also jump in and race at the same time so uh that's been a pretty important part of it and um it's actually been a, a major part of our team training is um is uh, i now you know when i was originally racing i was the only full-time employee of um of matt hall racing and i had you know i'd had uh, technicians that you know, a number of different technicians that turned mm. up a race, and um, I had um, one person on contract to be my my team manager just for racing. Um, we ended up the other day. I think I've got eleven people on the payroll now. Oh wow! So uh, some some full time, some part time, some contracted. But we've really um, we've really uh, allocated some good management there, yep. and yep. we're uh, we're also uh, just looking at. Um, you know, potentially putting on a um a full-time business manager as well so that um you know i basically set the direction at the start of the year of um here's our here's our um vision and um, intent um here's our moral fiber of who we are as a company and then after that i then uh, hand over the reins and i've just become the athlete and um so that's that, yeah, some, some really good stuff happening um, internally there, allowing me to uh, concentrate on yeah, really just being a, a full-time athlete where I exercise, look after my body and my brain. And uh, when I turn up to a track, I'm looking forward to racing as opposed to thinking when I get home, I've got to open 300 letters and pay mm. the bills
2: and do the accounting and the buzz. You mentioned a big name there was uh, Larry Perkins, very famous here in Australia. And um, I think we've spoken briefly in the past about the famous Larry Logger. Uh, one of his uh, onboard telemetry units that you, I believe you had been using. Are you still using that with the new telemetry?
3: Yeah, so what we've done now is um, we're using um, a, a bit of a hybrid of systems. So Larry's, uh, Larry's system was the, uh, the, the starting point of it and uh, he basically... Uh, approached us and said, "Hey, uh, try using this, and, and um, it'll uh, it'll help you out." And then we've we've used some of his components. We've used some components out of a um, a car um, telemetry system that uh, allows uh, rapid debriefing of video and telemetry all at once. Um, so it gets presented uh, as a multi screen display. And then lastly, we've uh, combined that with a um, with a system called WingMate uh, that. Uh, basically pulls it all together. So then we uh, we're we're basically drawing thirty two channels of data streaming at about wow. twenty hertz, plus uh, two video camera views uh, that are all displayed on one screen through both video graphical and GPS overhead uh, position data, um, and we can scroll to any any particular time frame. Uh, and everything is all synced up, so it's uh, it's a pretty damn good system we've got in the plane now that we've um, we've got to. Um basically relieve my timeline of, uh, of trying to figure out what happened in the track. Um, you know, I can just get it, you know, which is what we actually did when we did our team training is uh, I'd get out of the cockpit, you know, and be basically talking to the telemetry guys straight away going, I was wide on uh, turn three in the first lap. And then within three minutes, he's got uh, all the data going, yeah, you were 0.3 of a second late applying the G. And your application rate was an eighty percent rate instead of a hundred percent rate, and that's blown the time out there, and that's given you a point three per second. Um, oh. Yeah. So straight away, within you know, within two or three minutes, he's actually analysed exactly what went wrong and told me the cost of it and where we can improve it.
2: That's that's pretty intense. Very much like Formula One. Um, is that the WingmateAvionics dot com group from here in Australia?
3: That is, yeah. Peter Weisenbeek is um, is the brains behind that one. He he's now one of those guys on my payroll is um, <laughs> uh, he was Alonso's, uh tactician when Alonso was the world champion Formula One driver so um, he's got some fairly good heritage there he understands racing he knows how tactics work in racing he knows how to analyse telemetry and uh, we're pretty privileged to have him on our team.
0: Yeah we've met Peter actually I interviewed him a couple of years ago at Natfly he uh, neglected to tell me however about that rather interesting uh, racing background or I probably would have kept him there all afternoon.
3: yeah yeah so he was he was up here um uh doing our um our our training days. In fact, if you jump on our um, on our Facebook page, we've got a video of our, of our training, of everything we were looking at, we were doing there, and uh, and you see um, you see Peter in that video analysing our data, and you see you see uh, a couple of glimpses of the screen. We don't give away too much, but you see a couple of glimpses of the screen of uh, of Peter and I analysing it while I'm still dripping dripping wet in sweat uh, in my G suit while we're going through the race. So I just uh, finished you know, a matter of minutes ago.
0: Well, Matt, now you, uh, you alluded a bit earlier to uh, things such as new rules and new pylons. Can you tell us uh, what other new rules
3: we're all looking forward to it actually it's a it's it's, i'm actually really looking forward to this year um so as far as as far as um the standard race is concerned um those that are keen will see a few differences the pylons are about 10 to 15 feet higher but if you're just looking at a pylon you wouldn't necessarily pick it the g limit has been reduced to 10g uh and that's mainly just to try and give the pilots a bit of um a bit of leeway because we were all stiff and sore after every flight so there's no difference between 10 and 12 as far as spectators are concerned but it made a difference at the cockpit the engines have been standardized so um that levels the playing field a bit i think that goes in our favor because you know i think we had a pretty good engine on the plane but i think there are others that had better engines the uh, the props are standard but that's the same prop as we were running previously anyway the Knife edge gates have been removed completely, so there's no more, uh, you know, 270 degree high G turn roll into a reversing knife edge to go through uh, through the double gates there, but we've still got a lot of knife edge passes past pylons, because we've got probably a lot more chicane type pylons, so there'll be a single pylon sitting out in the middle of nowhere, so we'll still have those level gates, blue gates we fly through, but every now and then there'll be just a single pylon sitting out in the middle of nowhere, and that's just, that's just a pole we've got to go around halfway through the race, which... Gives a a more of an interesting feel to the race because now there's a lot of different lines you can take to go around that pylon. You you can aim straight at it and then just almost clip it and blow out or you can try and apex across it or you can can fly a big wide arcing turn and keep your speed up. So you're going to see a lot of different race lines being flown um, depending on how people think the best way to fly the track is. And the the last one that um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it, but I'll I'll, I'll, I'll mention <laughs> something is that um, we're doing a lot of overland races this time. Um, you know, off the top of my head, what I'm thinking that we're um, Ascot Racecourse, uh, Dallas Speedway, and Vegas Speedway, and. Um, at all those locations, um, yeah, you, know, you can imagine we're going to put the runway in the track, and uh, you could imagine it'd be a fairly exciting way to start the race um, with some lights uh, on the main straight. So um, some uh, some pretty interesting things coming our way, I reckon.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, the difference is obviously uh, most of the races we're used to seeing with uh, Red Bull Air Race obviously are over water courses, but uh, it does intrigue me. In fact, uh, all things going well, hopefully I'll be able to get across to the one in Las Vegas, and uh, it'll be really interesting to watch. Having been to the two in Perth and watching them. Over the river there, it should uh, you know be quite spectacular to watch around a, a you know a, a motor race course essentially.
3: Yeah, well, I've done it once in Germany. Um, it was it was the best race. So unfortunately, it was the last race we did as well. But uh, yeah, because we used the um, the grid stand basically of the and all the garages and pit lanes of a, of the of the motor the motor car racetrack. So uh, I just remember at one point, you know, I'm, I'm you know, waiting to fly and I'm going through my routine and I walked out to the front of the hangar. And in every other place I'd been to, when you walk out to the front of the hangar, all you look at is the hangar It's on the other side and one of the other pilots looking back at you thinking, yeah, he wants to beat me. This time I walked out to the front of my hangar and there was a – grandstand with about 100,000 people there, and they all started cheering. And I, and, and I thought, that's kind of cool, but it's scaring the bejesus out of me. I'm going back in the back of the hangar. <laughs> so I turned around and, and walked back into the hangar and hid. Um, so that, that's kind of cool. But um, when, when I was actually flying the race, I didn't notice the fact that you're flying inside a, sta- you're inside a stadium. Yeah, It was grandstand the whole way around. Yes, you know, it's, it's a ring track, and uh, didn't really notice anything in particular about that. But uh, I tell you what, some of the photos from that race are just spectacular. You know, there's, there's photos of me flying, yeah, you know, taken from the ground, looking up at my aircraft with a grandstand above me in the background. Uh, you know, people in the yeah, you know, photos from people in the grandstand taking photos, looking down at the aircraft flying down down the main straight. So, oh, that would be wonderful. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it is going to be a. A new sensation, and uh, it's going to really capture um, the imagination of people when we when they see that.
0: Oh, there we go. Well, it makes it easy. The next Australian round can be down at the Calder Park Thunderdome. I'll I'll tee that up with Bob Jane. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Let's let's do it. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Matt, you mentioned uh, about standardised engines and props. Uh, which engine is it? Are they going with the uh, the IO five hundred and forty or a different one?
3: Yeah, so they're going with the IO five hundred and forty. It's uh, from uh, Lycoming. Um, it's a uh, it's the Thunderbolt. So it's. An experimental engine, but um, it's experimental, but done by the original um, engine manufacturer. So all of the the race engines, maybe Goulian might have been running a a Lycoming Thunderbolt, but uh, everyone else was running um, a highly modified experimental engine, uh, which. Uh, you know, a Lycon or a Barrett or, uh, you know, along those lines. The same basic technology, but um, because it's being done um, on an experimental level by an independent third party, uh, it just meant that uh, the race was never really sure what, what was going on inside the engine and, and how many, what the tolerances were between um, success and failure. Um, so what they've done now is once again for safety, the, safety and budget, They've basically said, right, everyone has to run the uh, the same engine from the uh, from Lycoming because they're the you know, the designers of the engine. They know how they can pump more horsepower out of it, and you know, in theory, to within uh, known tolerances uh, prior to failure. So that that's the concept behind that. And also to stop the uh, the big budget teams having the um, the power advantage, which was um, I think occurring already. You know when you know that when um, you turn up to a race and Hannes is uh, Hannes does his first day of flying, it doesn't go as well as he wants, and then a Learjet turns up and they pull an engine out of the back of the Learjet and strap it onto his plane for the next day's flying. You go, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know.
0: That crafty little Austrian. Exactly.
2: (laughs) That whole we're not worthy thing comes up. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah. You see that in F1. They've been doing a lot of effort to try and level the field. And I think, you know, everyone using similar equipment like this is really going to help. But, on the equipment topic, you, you did mention in passing your G-Suit and all that, is it the same one as last time, a, a water-based unit?
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. it's the same, same G-Suit. We've actually modified our system slightly, um, we got approval to do it, and we've had our G-Suit at um, back in Australia, which is pretty rare to get access to it, so... Mm. Uh, we've had it uh, here in Australia training with it for the last uh, month or two. So, if any of the other race pilots are listening to this, um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <suckers>. <laughs> yeah, So So, uh, but um, it's it's a very hot piece of equipment. You know, it's because you know, a G suit just by the fabric it's made of, it's layered. Uh, a number of layers of effectively denim, which is then tightened down with lacings and zippers to be skin tight. Uh, and this particular G suit that we're wearing is a full body G suit, so it's uh, there's, you know, your whole body is 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 cramped uh, in this thing. So um, we're actually uh, have been testing some new equipment that we uh, we got through the V8 drivers, and uh, I'm using a um, another fluid suit under my fluid G suit, so I just got water all over me. Um, and I, I walk out to the plane now like an astronaut because I'm carrying um, it's a good old Australian esky. <laughs> it's got a bilge pump in it, full of ice and water, and it's pumping fluid through a suit that's um, against my skin, uh, and then the G suits over the top of that. So um, yeah, all in all, I've now I'm, I've now got about uh, a bit over ten kilos of clothing before I put my G suit. So before I put my um, my parachute and helmet on, so. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it does look rather Australian as I as I waddle out to the plane now uh, with
2: my Esky. The Esky with the Aussie flag on it, right?
3: Exactly, exactly. I'm thinking about wearing a
0: hat with a tinny on it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Getting a Cobra. <laughs> no, yes, that's right. No, a okay. flannelette shirt's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> flannelette flight suit.
2: It just gets worse hanging with us, I tell you. now. Mate, you've mentioned also a couple of times about um, a bit of a challenge course that there are no rookies in the pilot lineup. Everyone who's there has been uh, proving themselves in the, at least the last year of the previous comp, if not the years before. What are they doing for bringing on new talent? Part of the restructure
3: was also about how to get people into the racetrack uh, with experience. Um, because the planes had been continuously getting faster and faster and faster, it was no longer safe to to go from, hey, he's a really good aerobatic pilot to um, throw him in a race plane and get him to fly around um, at those altitudes. I think I was about the, the last you know, successful intake year, uh, and even when I came in, there was a quantum leap in the aircraft performance at that point, and then it leaped again in 2010. So they needed they needed a way to introduce people into the racetrack and get them experience in the lifestyle um, and in flying around pylons and how to deal with the media and how to deal with distractions before you strap on a fire-breathing race plane um, and try and do it um, for real. So... Uh, what they've done is they took um, 12, I think it was, 12, uh, invited 12 international aerobatic pilots who were already quite successful display pilots and competition pilots and uh, had them fly those two training camps I talked about earlier and then eight of those people um, have now been invited to participate in what they're calling the Challengers Cup. And uh, what the Challengers Cup is is um, these guys, uh, you know, get to basically come to the races and they have their own series um, that has flown you know, in the same racetrack we're in they're there. If it's, a, if it's a particularly challenging racetrack, they may deflate one or two pylons and, uh, and open the track up a bit. Um, but they'll also be flying uh, extra 330s, so um, they – They don't have to bring their own aircraft it's a stock standard aerobatic aircraft so uh it's you know it's not as uh difficult to fly as the race planes and then um they basically just uh, get out there and uh, they all have a crack in basically sharing three aircraft uh, around rob and them and they've got their own point system and uh, at the end of the year there'll be a a challenger, uh, world champion, and then um, obviously, if there's an opening in the uh, in the unlimited class, he or she gets to uh, step up into the main game.
0: Oh, I think yeah, that's so excellent. It Just it adds that extra up. element.
3: Yeah, well, that's right. And uh, so they'll be used as uh, you know uh, a warm up act. And yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's like any motorsport these days. Is there's uh, there's a lower a lower grade uh, that the people are gaining experience in, but it's still part of the uh, the weekend of racing. Uh, so people can come mm-hmm. and, um, in fact, there will be people that come just to watch the challenges because they know people in that um, in that uh, competition. So mm-hmm. it will be a draw card just on
2: its own. And the extra 330 is a pretty neat plane to be uh, out there doing pylons in.
3: Exactly. And, uh, yeah, the good news is as well is um, these, the extras they're flying, they're brand new off the uh, getting uh, just finishing off now and uh, they'll also be a media aircraft so uh, the challenge is when they're not racing they'll be uh, doing all the media work and taking uh, taking media flying and around the track and all that sort of stuff so uh, Mm -hmm. there's uh, there's a whole heap and all of a sudden there's some interest isn't there
4: (laughs) i'm in for that
3: So yeah, there's uh, they yeah. Not only are they out there racing, they're out there getting experience with the media and and uh, increasing their profiles, and um, and and the media is getting to to ride with uh, an up and coming race pilot. Whereas um, previously, it, um yeah, you know, we we had a dedicated aircraft for that and a dedicated pilot, but uh, that's all they did.
0: Now Matt, uh, we know we're running a bit long as always, but I just thought before we finish up, we might talk about uh, the team composition. Um, Your mechanic, you've had a few mechanics over the years, I think. Uh, who who have you got uh, working for you this time?
3: Yeah, uh, well, who we've got this. This time is uh, Eric Sizler, Now he, um, I first met him um, down at you um, Yeah, whoo, what was it? It uh, nearly two years ago when um, I bumped into you guys down there as well. Yep. And uh, he was working uh, for Judy Pay. And um, he, um, yeah, hats off to him. He's a, he's a pretty talented young, um, young technician. And he uh, contacted me and said, hey, um, yeah. I'd, uh, if you've got any opportunities to work for you, I'd like to um, throw my hat in the ring. Um, I had a chat to Judy to make sure that uh, I wasn't going to be stealing one of her valued employees and um, she loved uh, Eric's work and basically had taken him through from an apprentice to his current position um, but she acknowledged that uh, yeah, there's a bigger, wider world out there, and it'd be great for him to have um, some new experiences. So um, she was, uh, yeah, she was uh, great in uh, helping the transition of uh, Eric to come up and uh, start working full time for me, which he's been doing now for a bit over a year full time up here. And uh, yeah, he's done he's done great work on the aircraft. And Jack, uh, who was my uh, technician the uh, the previous rounds in 2010, he's still um, well involved. He's actually just well, um, his wife has just had their uh, their second child only a matter of uh, a week or so ago. So he's uh, he's still involved in the fact that he's providing the the maintenance um, workshop that we're operating the aircraft under. And he was actually over here for our training team training sessions. Um, Helping uh, Eric uh, get an understanding of exactly what's going to happen and how it all works. So uh, we're, we're really now starting to build a nice a nice base of people that uh, are able to help us. And it also means we've got some depth so that, um, you know, if someone for some reason is unable to make a race or perform at a race, we've actually got people now locally in Australia who can step into the roles. Oh,
0: fantastic. Yeah, young Eric, was he the young fellow we met uh, a year or so back? He was doing his commercial in the MXS?
3: Yeah, he was doing it in the extra, hopefully. I didn't give him the MXS at that time. <laughs> Oh, the extra, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's played the MXS since, but that, that's the one. So, um, yeah, one, one of the things I, I did with him is that, yeah, uh, you know, I like proactive people, um, you know, and um, – I like people that are trying to get out there and improve themselves and um, but not rip people off while they're doing it. So uh, when he asked if he could work for me, I said to him, "Yeah, you know, I don't have a need for a full-time mechanic and I don't have a need for a full-time pilot, but uh, I can probably justify having someone that can do both full-time. So um, I told him that if he could get his commercial license by the end of 2012, I think it was, I'd employ him. He, uh, he admitted that he didn't have um, enough funds or access to an aircraft, so um, I gave him my extra and said, fly boots off in this plane for the next two months and if you can get your license you've got a job and um he went and did all of his exams and flew his uh, flew his butt off and uh, did his flight test and um, got a job.
0: Yeah, that is fantastic and a very serious young fellow too. So uh, obviously you're very, very focused.
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think the team is really shaping up quite well. Um, although you might remember, I'm not I'm not sure if you recall, I did a um, a race at uh, Tyab. I raced the, um, the sprint car.
5: Oh, yes. you remember And
3: uh, you might recall that uh, the race didn't start all that fairly, that uh, the car took off about a minute before I got there. <laughs> Um, it was actually Eric on the starter's flag where I was like about a mile off the back of the airfield and he decided that was probably fair enough and waved the go flag for the sprint car. So <laughs> he nearly didn't get a job. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully he's a, if he's learned nothing else, he's learned to make that bit a bit more, uh, you know, fair.
3: Yeah, well, that's right. Now, he, now he's on my side too. Uh, he, he needs to make me win the races, <laughs> not the car.
0: No, I, I think the boy's are genius. I think you've selected very well there, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, uh,
3: he's 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 a very talented, very good with his um, with his craftsmanship. He's a workaholic, which uh, suits my mentality, and um, and he flies the plane pretty well as well.
0: Outstanding. Well, Matt, uh, once again, uh, as always, we've taken up a lot of your time, and late at night, uh, we wish you all the very best for the upcoming season. Uh, we're going to, you know, do our best to catch up with you. Uh, through Throughout the season. And uh, of course, you know, one more question I should ask you. You know, it's, it's just you and me and Grant talking I mean, You know, you've got any of your secrets. You're going to tell us about how you're going to take the uh, Red Bull Air Race by storm and win every race? Oh,
3: it's since no one else is listening now, I can tell you about the jet engines. Oh, cool. No worries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: uh, I wondered what that special. Fantastic. Was, well, we're like interviewing that. Hannah Sark next week, so well, we won't tell him anything about that. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, RedBullAirRace.com, folks, and of course, MattHallRacing.com. And I noticed, so uh, Matt, on your website now there's a newsletter people can sign up for so they can keep up with all the happenings there at mount hall racing so uh, once again we wish you all the very best um we'll catch up with you several times through the year and uh thanks for joining us again on the show tonight
3: perfect guys thanks for having me
0: as pilots we're always looking for ways to improve our proficiency and skills and one of the best ways to achieve that is using a flight school dedicated to advanced skills training In the Sydney area, that choice is the Australian Aerobatic Academy. From Ab initio, advanced handling techniques, upset recovery training, right through to full aerobatic ratings. The Australian Aerobatic Academy provides thorough and professionally delivered courses to suit every pilot. And with bases at Bankstown and Wollongong, they've got Sydney covered. Go to aeroacademy.com.au to find out more or call 0404 065 201. The Australian Aerobatic Academy, taking your proficiency to the next flight level.
1: Ever dreamt of flying in a warbird? Why not strap yourself in for pure excitement and let a supercharged radial engine take you up to speeds of 200 knots? dare to push the boundaries as you experience up to six and a half g fully aerobatic or simply take in the spectacular scenery of western port bay french and phillip islands with 360 degree views come and join us at Wings in turidan and take flight in our nanchang cj6a plane crazy down under listeners get the 15 minute flight for only 250 dollars. that's a saving of 30 dollars. call us on 0418 525 658 or visit our website, adventurewings.com.au. Flying every weekend and other times by appointment. Adventure Wings. Leave the ordinary behind.
0: G'day,
6: this is Owens Up. Just a quick note to let you know that my new ebook, 50 Tales of Flight, is now out on Amazon and iTunes. Find 50 Tales and my latest updates at owensup.com. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy the show with Grant and Steve.
0: And welcome back, folks. And I tell you what, uh, I am absolutely looking forward to the Red Bull Air Race season. I tell you what, if you've never been to one of those shows for our listeners anywhere in the world where the Red Bull Air Race is coming this year, get out and see it. It is just a spectacular thing to see.
2: Mate, I'm still trying to win lotto so I can get to as many of them as I can. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe China, if I'm lucky, Mm. Uh, towards the end of the year. Maybe Malaysia. Dreaming.
0: Well, I'm aiming for Las Vegas this year because, uh, actually, by sheer coincidence, it's actually when I'm on annual leave, so... (sighs) Sigh. Sigh. Uh, planning a trip to the US. Just for something different, Grant, I thought I'd go overseas to the US. Yeah, just somewhere you've never been before. 98th trip or something. (laughs) Anyway, Grant, uh, something a little bit more local that's coming up uh, very shortly, in fact, in early March, is the uh, Centenary of Military Aviation uh, Air Show at Point Cook down here in Melbourne, the home, of course, of the Royal Australian Air Force Museum. And, uh, of course, as we mentioned earlier, uh, our crew, ATC Ben and Stephen Pam, went up and had a ride in one of the C-130J Hercules. Got a great video of that. Uh, You can find that on our YouTube channel and uh, you can also find it on our Facebook book page, Uh, some fantastic footage there, and uh, there were some interviews there which were sort of cut down to fit into the video, but Grant, we've got the long-form versions of those uh, to play now.
2: That's right, mate. We've got interviews uh, with Air Commodore Phil Byrne, the RAAF's Head of Special Events, David Gardner, the Director of the RAAF Museum at Point Cook, Flight Lieutenant Matt Fleet, an RAF C-130J Exchange Pilot, and Sergeant Greg Milne, a Loadmaster.
0: All these interviews, of course, were recorded by our good friend and video guru, Stephen Pam. Let's take it away.
7: Let me first start by uh, welcoming you and thanking you very much for coming out today. Uh, This is a historic occasion for the Royal Australian Air Force. Three weeks from tomorrow is the celebration of the first hundred years of military aviation in Australia. On the 1st of March 1914, the first flight of a military aircraft took place at this site point cook in victoria in a bristol box kite and we have a flying replica of that aircraft behind us in the hangar it's a historic day point cook is a historic place this is the longest continuously operating military airfield in the world and it's marvelous that uh, we can all get together to celebrate this amazing event in three weeks time. We're going to uh, take you, ladies and gentlemen, flying today over the city. We've warned the city that the two Hercules are going to be flying um, in the CBD, and uh, we hope you get a little bit of flavor of what it's like to be involved in military aviation. The professionalism of our people and the capabilities of our aircraft are renowned, and uh, we hope you thoroughly enjoy what you're going to uh, take it's what's going to take place this morning. How much has military aviation changed in a hundred years? Well, if you look at the Bristol Box kite behind us, it's uh, made of uh, string and material. Um, at the air show in three weeks' time, we'll have the Super Hornet uh, and Classic Hornet. In fact, we're, we've got on display about sixty aircraft. The Royal Australian Air Force, the Australian Army, and the Royal Australian Navy have operated about two hundred aircraft over the past 100 years and we're going to have close to 60 of them on display. A lot of those are going to be flying. In fact, about two thirds of them will be conducting flying displays. The oldest flying display will be of aircraft that participated in the First World War. We'll have aircraft flying from the interwar years, the Second World War, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, up until the present. And on the ground, whilst not flying, we're going to have a full scale mock-up of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, which is going to enter service with the Royal Australian Air Force in the next few years. The major flying displays are going, to be, uh, are going to be fast jets and transport aircraft and maritime patrol aircraft that are currently operating, and uh, I can guarantee you it's going to be a spectacular day. We'll have many, many ground displays in addition. In fact, we're fast running out of tarmac space to get all of the displays. And also, we're very, very fortunate down here at Point Cook in having the Royal Australian Air Force Museum, which is a repository of amazing things. What's been the single biggest change, if you can put your finger on one thing that's changed in that centenary of military aviation, what would it be? Uh, Technology. A a military aircraft looks amazing, it looks different, but what you can't see, what's inside? The radars, the communications, the electronic warfare systems, the weapons systems, and probably the people, the, the people in our train to a totally different level. Uh, in the First World War and, and uh, unfortunately in the Second World War, um, people got onto the front line after a, a small amount of training. These days it takes in the vicinity of four years to train a pilot to, uh, to become fully proficient on a, on a fast jet. Uh, so the people are big changes, but the technology inside the aircraft I think uh, is my is my standout. and um, the aircraft will be flying in today. how long have they been uh Air Force workhorses, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But we've had, uh, let's, let's, let's think. We started out in the 60s with the C-130A model. It been retired and it was replaced by the C-130H model. It's subsequently retired, only very recently, and uh, it's been replaced by the C-130J. So we're on the third version of the C-130 now, and it's a, a, a still a very, very capable air for, uh, aircraft. For example, Point Cook is a training base. It's got a very short runway. The C-130 can operate here easily. If that was a dirt runway, the C-130 could operate into it. In fact, the number of aircraft that we've got going to have on the ground from the modern Air Force are going to be limited simply by the length of the runway. But we'll have um, the second largest air- aircraft in the Air Force, the C-17 Globemaster III, uh, which is a, uh, a, a global transport, and the C-130s. We'll have a Hornet fighter, and we'll have, uh, and we'll have a lot of training aircraft. In addition to that, we'll have... Uh, you know, about 55 uh, aircraft, historic aircraft, flown in. David
6: Gardner, director, Royal Australian Air Force Museum. Um, David, just tell us a little bit
4: about this aircraft that's behind us there.
6: This is a Bristol Boxkite replica, which we uh, have constructed over the last six years and have test flown. And it will be, hopefully, if the weather's in our favour, on the 1st of March we will fly it again to emulate or to replicate the uh, flight which Phil Byrne has just talked about, which was here on Sunday, the 1st of March, 1914. So that was an aircraft using. This was the first aircraft that flew here, and it was our first trainer. What sort of weather do you need
4: to be able to get it up in the air? It looks pretty flimsy.
6: Very good, and uh, we, it's quite surprising when you think that Point Cook is a very windy. Area that they actually used this aircraft, but most of the flying was done early in the morning or of uh, uh, late evening before the sun went down. During the day, when the wind got up, they sort of put it to bed. Well, well. So, as a gentleman's hours one could say.
4: What, what was the use of having an Air Force that could only fly you know, in, well, in good
6: weather? <laughs> well you've got to stop and think that this we're talking this is a 1910 technology and we're talking 1914 so it's only four years old it was a fledgling Air Force and uh, that's the way it started you know and as Phil has said over the 100 years we've got to landing on dirt strips and we can go faster and better but this thing here capable of doing 42 mile an hour at about a thousand feet that was it.
4: What sort of other historic aircraft are people going to be able to see and, and I mean how do you go about keeping them in the air.
6: Well, this aircraft to my right is the Sopwith Pup. It's an airworthy replica of a well-wallen fighter or trainer, and this is done up in training colours. Where behind that aircraft again we've got the other one. Now the historic aircraft that will be on show on the day will be quite a few, but the three we'll have here is the D the B-2A and the Bristol Boxkite. Now those are the first three aircraft we had here in 1914 as training aircraft. So we will have the uh, three of the original aircraft, albeit replicas, here for the first of March. How rare is it that people get to see these sort of aircraft in the sky very because the box the box there is a box car flying in england but this is the only one flying in australia and as i said we've flown it twice this year once in september and once uh, in january to do the test flying on it to have it ready for the air show
8: can you tell us what's so good about the air show why should people come along
6: well it is a hundred years of military aviation technology you'll see everything from what we started with to the Super Hornet with what we're operating now. And as uh, uh, Air Commodore Burns just said, we have the F-35 on the ground, which is going to be the latest state of the art aircraft for the Air Force. They'll see everything plus other things that go along. It's not just the aircraft that make the Air Force, it's the people, it's the technology. Uh, there's going to be working dogs here, military working dogs. They're the people we don't, I well, am the dogs, we don't see about, but they'll be here too. So the Air show is covering all aspects of it. We've got innovation, evolution. And how, how many people are you hoping to get down here? 25,000 people each day, because that's about all we can fit into here. And... Uh, The tickets are on sale and if you're living in Melbourne you can get uh, free transport from uh, anywhere in Melbourne to Williams Landing and a bus from Williams Landing to here so the ticket gets you free ride into here and out of here. You can drive in if you like but we're trying to talk people into using public transport as you can see by the road systems around here.
4: Uh, was our uh, captain on the uh, chase plane today? How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Well, I was uh, up the front there with you for the uh, tail end of the
8: flight and for the landing, and uh, saw you were working pretty hard there. Yeah, it's quite bumpy conditions today. You can feel, I mean, you can see now our, uh, our shirts and stuff are blowing. It's probably up to thirty odd knots of wind out there, and yep. especially when it gets around the city, you um, you get the buildings sort of make it spin around. And uh, and with me sat behind the lead aircraft. With the wingtip vortices and everything coming off, yeah, it was quite hard for me today. I was, I was working. Right, but you're no stranger
4: to uh, formation flight, are you?
8: <laughs> no, no, it's um, something we do day in, day out. We practice, and yeah. uh, it's something you get very good at, and that's why today is so important. Like. Even though, obviously, t- we had you guys on board today, it's actually part of our squadron regime to go and practice formation, so it's yeah. very good for that. Well, and before off-camera you are saying now, obviously you, you, you have a bit of a different accent from a lot of the guys uh, here, so uh, tell us where you're from and what you're doing here. So uh, I'm the uh, Royal Air Force Exchange Officer. Um, I come on a three-year exchange post, and the idea being we got the aircraft about a year ahead of the Australians. Um, we're a little bit further ahead in some areas, behind in, in others. And, so and
4: you're here to show us a few things? Exactly, okay, yeah. right.
8: It's so not unusual, is it? <laughs> apart from cricket. We can't share anything about cricket. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> we won't go there, that's all right. Okay. OK, and so um, you were on Herx in the RAF as well?
8: That's right. I joined the Hercules back home in uh, 2005, and I came out here on exchange at the end of 2011, and I've been doing uh, doing this for the last couple of years. Okay, and um, what were you on before that? Um, I went through um, a plethora of aircraft, but I went through the fighter scheme to begin with and then moved on to Hercules uh, in the 2004, 2005 year. So something a bit bigger than Hawks. Oh, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> more fun to fly, there, and you get to go to better places. Right. Yeah. Plus you can open the door and you get exactly. aircon and all that. Yeah, sort of and you get a yeah. cup of
4: tea while flying. It's very important. Very nice. Yes, I know. So you've got your little microwave up there and everything. All the creature comforts. Yeah. Now, speaking of getting to fly a little bit more slowly, speed management uh, is uh, is a big deal, isn't it? Because we were flying with the door open, the back door open a lot of the time. So tell us
8: about uh, managing that. Uh, that's right, yeah, today with the back end open, obviously it's got a limit in speed that we had to fly to because it was pretty bumpy conditions. Um, we've also got a minimum speed, obviously, for stalling. Uh, we had about a 12-knot window today with which to play with, so uh, I was pumping the throttle a little bit to make sure that we didn't... Uh, didn't didn't get in trouble for overspeeding, or right. worse still, crash airplane. Right.
4: You were saying before it's a 150 knot limit for the back door to be open. And uh, what
8: happens if you exceed that? Um, technically the aircraft would need maintenance, and uh, so it would be a phone call back home. The uh, technicians would have to have a think about, you know, how far we uh, oversped by, and therefore what work they needed to do. The aircraft's very clever; it has a computer on board that registers every, uh, pretty much every action we do, and the card will then download when we get back to Richmond, and it will, even if you didn't think you oversped, it may tell you you overspeed. Right. So not a good look. Not a, no, you don't want to be the person that yeah. stresses. Although it is part of, part of flying every day with what we do. We operate the aircraft to its limits, so guys do occasionally uh, overspeed. Right, but if you do it a lot of the time, then you're going to be... Uh, you probably trouble. wouldn't be flying Hercules yeah. so much longer if you did it too often.
4: I noticed also um, a lot, during a lot of the formation flying, um, you had some full aileron deflections in both directions in very quick uh, succession there. Um, and also you, you were dancing around with your feet uh, to uh, keep that all coordinated. So um, definitely... Definitely hard work. Does, is it tiring when you fly a mission like that? Because we were in in tight formation for quite a while then.
8: Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, um, with a big aer- aircraft like the ones we fly, they, they produce massive wingtip vortices. Uh, and if the wind's in the wrong direction and we needed to be on the right side of the aircraft for, uh, for the photographers um you're on maybe on the wrong side for that wake and subsequently if you hit it then yeah you can fight to stay to stay in position um a lot of the time we'll try and fly up and out of it so it becomes less of an issue but um i'm a air-to-air qualified refueling person on the herx back in the uk and so i'm used to flying very close behind big yeah. aircraft in another person's wake and right. uh, trying to take fuel so yeah yeah
4: now today is of course all about promoting the Centenary of Military Aviation event that's happening uh,
8: and you're going to be here for that as well? Yeah indeed, we're going to uh, mount out of Richmond on the 1st of March and the 2nd, we're going to fly down here, we'll probably hold about 30 miles off the coast, wait for our slot and then I'll come in and do a handling display so show again how we operate the aircraft to its limits and, uh, uh, and do some manoeuvres that you wouldn't necessarily normally do in a Hercules but just to show that it's a it's very, very capable aeroplane and then uh, yeah, come back on the 2nd and do the same thing again. Excellent. So that's something to watch out for. Yeah, hopefully we could find if the weather holds. Are you going to be dropping any uh, Range Rovers out the back or any of that? No, sort? it's something we're looking at doing, and uh, if we can get approval to do it, that'd be great. You know, we can land and kick off some Land Rovers, or come in and do a full airdrop uh, onto the runway. The problem is, it then gets stuck there, and it ruins everybody else's display. So oh, right. they're probably yeah. not going to be very keen for us <laughs> to start dropping things out the back. But it is something we could do. Flight
4: Lieutenant Matt Fleet, thank you very much for joining us, and thanks very much for the flight. Um, a few of us um, managed to keep our lunch. Ben and I, we're proud to say, we managed to keep our lunch. Um, not. Not everyone did, but uh, yeah, great fun. I think the other eight owe you a bear. Um, yeah, they do, don't they? <laughs> thanks for the reminder. Cheers, no thanks. No problem, thanks. Well, Sergeant Greg Milne was uh, one of the load masters on our chase plane today. G'day, Greg. G'day, good to meet you. Uh, good flight. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. a little bit bumpy up there. It was a little bit bumpy, and uh, a few people didn't cope that well, did they? <laughs> no, but it happens. Yeah, what's it like for you guys?
5: Um, it gets We get used to it. The more yep. we do it, the um, stomach and the body gets acclimatised a little yeah. bit more, So, yep. but it can still be a bit upsetting on the stomach. Yeah, a mission like that, I guess, in particular, it's not really typical, is it? So, Not that part of it, yeah. or not for the extended, but when we're doing airdrop and so on, it can be the uh, sort of thing that we can be exposed right. to. Now, how long have you been a loadie? Uh, since 2009. Okay, yeah. so coming on quite a few years. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, what are some highlights of this job?
5: Yeah. Um, Airdrop, yeah. airdrop's always the best part. Right. Um, operations, um, humanitarian. Yep, any of those sorts yeah. of things. So, so what sort of deployments have you have you been doing recently? Uh, Middle East, a yep. um, couple of times last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done uh, Queensland floods. Mm-hmm. We've um, Timor, with Honiara, mm-hmm. taking uh, troops and stores into there.
4: Yep. Now today on the flight we had uh,
5: two of you loadmasters. Yes. Um, is, is that typical, or um, does that what? four? For our uh, strategic move, so if we're moving uh, troops and cargo just internationally, domestically, uh, you can do that at single load, single loadmaster. Um, when we do our tactical uh, type stuff or airdrop, uh, that's when we'll go to uh, two loadmasters.
4: Okay, so is it sort of about things like the complexity and...? Um... Yeah, it
5: is. It's um, There's safety involved in it. There's uh, the actual tasks that we're doing in there for checking the load, dispatching the load um, that requires uh, the two loadmasters when we're doing... Um, Threat environments, that's when we right. do... We've just, got other just parts. Just sort of as well.
4: managing the workload yeah. in between
5: two of you, yeah. Correct.
4: Um, obviously, with a cargo, like a bunch of. Um journalists who are a bit clueless about um it being in this environment um that's helpful yeah. to have the two of you yeah in. that's it it is
5: and that's why we did it today just yep. so that we've got the extra people in here to, yeah. uh,
4: to manage and to assist where we can yep presumably for most of us it was our, our first time doing that so um when you come into it, it you know the adrenaline kicks in and it's a it's a different environment and you know you can't hear and you guys yeah. are giving hand signals and so on but um it all seems to uh, it all seems to work okay no yeah. one fell out the back so no which is a good thing so you guys so, are happy yeah. and very happy
5: yeah we don't get in trouble for that so no <laughs> can do, do without people falling out of the back. Very good. So um, as a
4: loadmaster, obviously the Herc's not the only uh, airlift aircraft in the RAAF fleet.
5: No, within uh, ALG we've got the uh, C-17s being our uh, larger aircraft, uh, heavy lift. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the uh, tanker refuelers coming in. Uh, their loadmasters can be employed on there as well. And uh, also within, um, in the future, we've got the C27J, the um, Spartan, mm-hmm. coming in as well. So presumably, if you're qualified on one, you're not automatically qualified
4: on the other. Correct. You have to do some additional Yeah, we training. do a
5: conversion onto yep. that airframe. So yep. at the moment, we're qualified on Herc, so mm-hmm. that's where we are, on the Js. And um, yeah, down the track, we could end up on any of the airf- any of the airframes within so
4: ALG. if you were going to go to yeah. the... Uh, C27, the C twenty-seven, the Spartan, or the yep. um, or the uh, C seventeen. What sort of conversion process? Uh, would it I think it's
5: about a three to six month conversion, okay. depending yeah. on the course. I haven't looked into those yep. yet, but so um,
4: it's still fairly involved because you've yeah. got to understand all the systems yeah, and the you've got the all, the and all
5: the systems, the loading, the weight and balance, and, the and, and, balance, yep. and uh, just the limitations of the mm. aircraft for um, what can go where. And
4: Let, let's so. geek out a little bit for a moment and, and talk about um, weight and balance. Yeah, um, obviously not really a consideration today. No, Uh, Um, pretty much empty and we had uh, a dozen people or whatever on board moving about but when you've got when you're doing humanitarian drops and things like that where you have a a full load of Mm -hmm. cargo um, how much work do you guys have to do and how do you interface or communicate with the, the crew up front in terms of what's going on with that
7: with
5: the load, obviously, before we get airborne, then we'll do our weight and balance. There's uh, limitations that we must uh, be within, so that the aircraft can fly within its limits uh, safely. Uh, that are all pre-calculated for us. So we'll do the um, we'll do a load plan. We'll decide what goes where. We'll confirm that it actually balances and is within our limits, and um, then we'll take it up the front and what we call punch it in the box. Enter it into um, the aircraft systems, and that information is then um, taken in for takeoff speeds and all those mm. performance details that the pilots need to know. So,
4: and if you're doing an airdrop and you're actually dropping stuff out while yep. you're flying, is that something that you have to do any special management around, or is that really just the? Guys we've that got our
5: feel it? yeah. The the pilots up the front they calculate that for their Correct. um for all their data that they need for the drop. Um, but yeah, again, we've just got to be within our flyable limits. Uh, we've got the um, the limits that we've been given to to maintain, mm. which is pretty easy. Excellent, pretty easy once you've been doing it a while, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it still takes a bit to get it right, yep. but um, yeah, once you with the loads that we're carrying, it's not not too bad.
4: All right, well, thanks very much. Thanks for the flight, and uh, thanks for keeping us from falling out the back. That was no, a no great problem. experience. Our
5: pleasure. Cheers.
0: Fantastic, and thanks again to uh, Stephen Pam for uh, going out and getting those interviews. You know Grant, uh, it wasn't too much to ask, hey uh, go ahead and have a free Herc ride, but uh, you know the trade-off is get some interviews for us and uh, Stephen Pam, very experienced at doing that sort of stuff and always does a fantastic job.
2: Yeah, I was quite surprised at the amount of arm twisting he must have been holding a beer at the time.
0: Yeah, it took me all of about half a second I think. I know, I know the response was so quick. Same with ATC Ben. <laughs> Ditto, yes. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. It's... Now folks, if you'd like to find out more about the Point Cook uh, Centenary of Military Aviation Show, uh, that is coming up on the 1st and 2nd of March uh, 2014, of course. Uh, Find out more at airforce.gov.au and they do have a rather extended link uh, to that page, which we'll put in the show notes, uh, but airforce.gov.au and you'll be able to uh, find your way through from there. Well worth getting out to. Absolutely a great opportunity to see some fantastic uh, history and, of course, uh, all the modern aircraft that are flying with the Royal Australian Air Force and uh, many other parts of the services as well. Mate, it looks like it's going to be huge. it absolutely will be huge and uh, we'll be out there, of course, uh, getting as many interviews as we can to put into a future episode. Well, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about another air show, which is the following weekend, in fact. That is, of course, the Tyab Air Show. We've got some announcements to make and some shout-outs, of course. So stick around, folks. We'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Plan your flight. Fly your plan. With Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full-featured moving map GPS, complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways makes the task of creating and submitting a flight plan a breeze, and can be a great tool for improving situational awareness en route. Annual subscriptions start at only $74.99, so get your copy today. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes Store or visit ozrunways.com. Oz Aus Runways, know where you're going.
4: Do you have the need, the need for speed? JetRide Australia is the country's premier fighter experience and the perfect gift for every budding top gun. From mild to wild, JetRide tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life. To make the dream a reality, check out jetride.com.au slash PCDU or Aussies can call one 554 876 JetRide. Forget the rest. Fly with the best.
0: Aviation long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines well not anymore i'm steve visher and i'm grant mccarran and we're bringing aviation right into your radio yes we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone hang on aviation's always been cool check this out how cool is this Crash! Crash! Turn that down. At the Plane Crazy Down Under radio show, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to chat with us about the amazing world of aviation. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Take Yes FM and the Plane Crazy Down Under radio show into your shed every Tuesday afternoon from three till six. One hundred point three Yes FM. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network.
3: The VoicesInYourHead.com
0: Well, here we are in episode 116, our first show of uh, 2014. I hope you're all enjoying it, folks. Now, Grant, uh, a couple of announcements to make. Let's talk about the Tyab Air Show coming up on the 9th of March, 2014.
2: That's right, mate. The uh, weekend after the Point Cook uh, RAAF Centenary of Military Aviation Show. Uh, This one's going to be another big one. It's a tribute to veterans, and there's a lot of great stuff coming uh, up for that. I've been involved with some of the planning. I've been attending a few meetings and was down there with the working bee. And there's a lot of effort going into making this place look great and getting it all together. Really looking forward to this one. And a bit of a surprise uh, announcement to come out of it at some point, but uh, not right now. But, yeah, the Air show, really looking forward to this one.
0: Absolutely, and, of course, you can find out more about that at com. Now, if you're down anywhere in this part of the world uh, and you've not been to the Tyab uh, Airport before, uh, talking about warbirds, if you don't catch enough of them out there at the uh, Centenary of Military Aviation Air Show the week before, probably one of the uh, better collections of warbirds, uh, particularly in uh, this part of Australia, uh, a house right there, Judy Pays Collection is there, and uh, many, many others, of course, Jim and Jenny Wickham are based there, and uh, just a really fantastic air show. We went to the one last time. It's uh, they, they have it every second year in between the Avalon years, and uh, it's always a great air show. And the best thing about it is that Grant, it's only about, you know, twenty minutes drive from my place. Yeah,
2: this is one of those times that you actually win on the uh, location of your house versus an air show. Uh, for me it's about an hour. <laughs> but it depends on the traffic.
0: Well, there's got to be some advantages to living out here in the far flung south southeastern suburbs.
2: Oh, well, we always wondered what it was. <laughs>
0: Okay, Grant, and we're not going to make uh, that other announcement uh, about the tie. All right. I was going to, Grant, but uh, I'll uh, keep my mouth uh, zippered just for now, and we'll talk about that in another show. Exciting Indeed. stuff, though. Something I'm excited about. I'm excited.
2: Yeah, we're all pretty – the whole team's pretty much excited about it, but uh, big effort, good show – and uh, yeah, nice twist from our perspective. Awesome,
0: okay, now uh, one of the other things we wanted to talk about here, we got a a great email recently from a a great supporter of the show, Steve Riley and uh, one of the things, uh, suggestions he made uh, in his email was that he'd like to see a bit more, I guess uh, what we might describe as grassroots uh, aviation, more talking about flying I think is the way that uh, he put it and you know what it probably is high time we went back and did uh, some stuff for that, I mean we've been doing a lot of military stuff which is awesome and a lot of uh, the airlines and and all that sort of stuff but uh, Grant so I thought what we might do is a bit of a pitch out to our audience here and just say we want your stories. I mean, everybody, I think we found over the five year or so journey we've been doing this show that uh, everybody, no matter how reluctant initially, has a story to tell and uh, <laughs> we'd like to get a few more of them. Yeah, usually alcohol lubricates the uh, vocal <laughs> yeah. cords, but uh, you know, we're, we're happy to, uh, if you've
2: got an idea or a story or you, or you think somebody else has a good story, please let us know. We'll follow it up with them and see what we can do to get them on the show. Uh, yeah, we're always keeping our air out for it. Uh, the last few, mensen uh, of oh last year have been pretty tricky for getting uh, content out the door but we're trying to take steps to rectify that and uh, look you know let's see if we can get some uh, great stories about uh, pilots, old pilots, bold pilots young pilots, uh, any stories or or flying clubs or things like that, let us know and uh, we'll, we'll chase them up or if it's you we'll get you on via Skype or the phone and we'll have a chat.
0: Absolutely and of course as you well know folks we've got reporters in most corners of the country now, in fact we need a Tasmania reporter I suppose but aside from that or even if you're over in New Zealand uh, we're always looking for content from over there so uh, drop us a line contact at com, or if you prefer to send us some snail mail you can do that too just send it to post office box 70 that's 70 Cranbourne Victoria Australia 3977 and uh, we'll be uh, happy to have a look at any of your story suggestions and uh, we know there's a lot of great stories out there we, we do what we can to get out and find them but uh, you know it's, uh, it's always great to some of the better stories we've had in fact have come uh, you know as a result of uh, suggestions from our audience so uh, we need to encourage that and uh, hopefully people will get on board and help to get Get some more uh, grassroots stories out. And we're still going to do all the, uh, you know, we've got, we've got to get Grant a military right at some point. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It'll happen, mate. It'll happen. I'm fine. I mean, don't forget I had that fantastic aerobatic ride with uh, Joel Haske many years ago. That was just absolutely awesome in the extra 200. So, yeah, I think it's it's been a couple of years. It's probably time for another one, I think.
0: All right. So, uh, once again, I should just mention contact at planecrazydownunder.com and uh, please let us know. Okay, let's move on to uh, shout-outs, Grant. Uh, now, before I kick off, we've got a few here on my list, but do you have any on yours? Yeah, mate, I've got uh, one or two in there. I'll, I'll slot them in with yours. All right, no worries. Well, uh, of course... It's no great secret, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that uh, I've been uh, having some uh, some surgery, and I just wanted to uh, give a, a bit of a quick shout out to uh, the people that uh, got me through that with, that. Uh, with as little as, amount of trauma as possible. I've not had really any major surgery in my life, and it was a, a really, uh, well, interesting experience, I'll tell you that much. So I uh, just wanted to give a big shout out to all the staff there that looked after me at the Epworth Hospital there in uh, Richmond in Victoria, and of course, uh, the surgical team, Mr. Eden Rayleigh, Dr. Peter Larkins, and uh, Dr. Josh Hoppy for uh, really looking after me. And those guys were all awesome and uh well I didn't know much about it I must I must say grant I just went off to sleep and woke up in <laughs> some other strange room out. and <laughs> it's been a real uh, journey for me actually uh, it's it's been Difficult to deal with from a physical standpoint, but also from a psychological standpoint. Um, you know, last year I, I went on a big fitness kick and lost about 22 kilos in five or six months and really got fit and got interested in some new sports and really got a passion for it. And, uh, you know, I often uh, joke to my wife that had I stayed fat and unfit, I probably wouldn't have broken my anterior cruciate ligament and half the other ligaments in my knee. But uh, I guess that's all part of the journey. And as the saying goes, I am not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. And as uh, long as I keep telling myself that, I won't get too down in the dumps. But uh, also wanted to uh, thank. <laughs> Uh, Peter Johnson from Extended and uh, my good friend David Van Hoof for, for the great support from afar always uh, sending me uh, eye messages and stuff Ging me up and always at the right time and I appreciate that and uh, Grant I also wanted to uh, thank you and the rest of the PCDU team for keeping the operation going uh, during my absence uh, even though we didn't get a uh, an episode of this show out uh, of course we do do our weekly segment there for the Airplane Geeks podcast the Australia Desk Report and uh, everybody uh, chipped in there it seems to uh, you know keep that segment running and I really do appreciate it and even uh, doing the editing and so I didn't have to to uh, try and extract myself from the couch in the lounge room and squeeze in here to our rather cramped studio. So uh, thanks, thanks, mate. I really do appreciate that. Yeah, well,
2: no worries, mate. And uh, my apologies to everyone who heard those Australia desks for the <laughs> quality of the sound and uh, definitely for the quality of the editing. Mia Cooper, I did what I could. Uh, and yeah, definite thanks to the rest of the gang for chipping in and uh, all pretending to be you.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I'm planning not to, uh, you know, break anything in my other knee because that was an extraordinarily painful experience.
2: Yeah, well, just stop playing basketball, you loony. I can't help it. I love it.
0: Yeah, I know, but ease yourself into it. Ease yourself into it. Mm, Now, I'll get back to karate. I should uh, also thank the people at uh, GKR Karate Region 7. Boy, have they looked after me. I'll tell you what. uh, (laughs) In fact, uh, one of my instructors there has uh, actually made me a custom-made knee brace the size of a Mack truck so that I can get back and uh, at least keep some of what few skills I do have up. So awesome (laughs) organization, GKRKarate.com. Go and check it out, folks. Fantastic people.
2: Mate, I'd also like to chip in my thanks to the surgery team for uh, not sending you back with something else chopped off the wrong leg or operating on the wrong knee, uh, yeah, that's that's really good. I'm very happy to see that everything worked well and uh, all worked as advertised.
0: Yeah, I was getting a little bit worried when they, uh, they put a, you know, the little uh, name tape things they put on your wrist. Well, they put one on each wrist. And I thought, what does this mean? In case they cut one of my arms off, they'll still know who I am. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I think it means that people on either side of the operating table can uh, get the info they need without having to run around, I guess. Hmm.
0: And if anybody could strike a medal for my wife, I think she deserves one after putting up with me for all of these weeks. So I've actually been off work uh, for one reason or another since the start of November. So
2: oh, dear, <laughs> my, dear, dear. My
0: poor, long-suffering wife, I feel very, 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 very sorry <laughs> for her.
2: Boy, do you owe her a lot more love and attention, right?
0: Well, Grant, she's been stuck with me for 20 years now, so, well, you know, she can't get out of it now. It's too late. There is always that, mate. There okay, let's that. let's move on. What's your, what's your first shout-out, mate? Yeah,
2: mate. My, uh, my first real shout out is of course to the crew at Hangar 49 and our sister podcast in the UK, the guys at Aviation Extended. Both parties were uh, very gracious to invite us on to record with them. You weren't quite up for it, so you missed the Hangar 49 and Extended sessions, but uh, we hopped on together and uh, I had a lot of fun recording with those guys. The guys from Hangar 49 are an absolute hoot. Uh, three fellows from way up north uh, in Washington State and also in Canada, and yeah, looking forward to bringing them on to our show to have a chat with them. Uh, We're just looking at angles and hooks that will uh, link the shows up a little bit more, but they were very gracious and extended the invitation. I hopped on and recorded with them total hoot and a holler and uh, really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, got the call from uh, Peter at Aviation Extended. He said, uh, come on through and record with us. And Gareth was unavailable. So I stepped in and tried to fill his enormously knowledgeable shoes. And the closest I got was that, well, my name starts with G2. But uh, yeah, that was really good fun. Uh, really enjoyed my time recording with those guys. So uh, big shout outs to uh, both teams for allowing me to uh, come on and ruin their podcasts.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. If you'd like to uh, find, if you don't listen to Hangar 49, you can- you can You can find them, of course, at uh, hangar49.info. And their latest episode is at uh, January 21st. It says here on their website is actually entitled G'day, Mate. So there's no missing it. That'll be the one. And as for the extended episode, uh, of course, that's also their latest one, episode 22, which is called Playing Crazy. Those guys are awesome. I think so. (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? Okay, now speaking of all things uh, from the podcast world, I wanted to give a good, uh, I wanted to give a big shout-out to our friend, formerly of the uh, now unfortunately uh, defunct Lifestyle Pod Network from the uh, Podcasters Emporium program and several others. That's Dave Gray. Now, our good friend Dave Gray, a fantastic guy, very busy guy, and uh, despite what's going on in his world at the moment, I find a very positive guy, actually. Dave's actually uh, having a big battle with uh, cancer brought on by melanoma, and uh, so we just wanted to give a shout-out to you, Dave. Uh, all the best wishes from uh, everyone here at uh, Playing Crazy Down Under. Uh, and uh, tell you what, mate, with your positive attitude, I'm sure you will fight this fight well and beat it.
2: Yeah, that's uh, been a comment from a number of friends of mine who have gone through the fight with cancer. That that positive attitude is really important. It's not the cure, but it helps keep you going. So, good luck, Dave. And just want you to know, we're all counting on you.
0: Yeah, of course. Now, you know, we need to get uh, we need to get Dave back together with uh, James Williams, uh, you know, pronto, so they can make some more episodes of Two Schooners. It's about time we had another Two Schooners. I think. Oh, definitely, mate. There's uh,
2: nothing quite like a uh, a show not so much about beer, more so much inspired by drinking lots of it.
0: And I tell you what, even though the Lifestyle Pod Network is uh, no longer operating, there's still many podcasts that were on that network. And in fact, we were one of them. And of course, uh, you know, the one I would cite is uh, Coach Jeff, uh, Jeff Smith. Um, you can find him at Coach Jeff Smith on Twitter. He's uh, still doing all sorts of uh, fantastically inspirational and motivational podcasts to do with uh, you know keeping fit. Which uh, you know, if you're you know trying not to break uh, several parts of your body, is probably not a bad thing. It's it's a good thing to try and keep fit. And yeah, I'm doing it. Now that I'm uh, now that I'm back and
2: diagnosed with what's wrong with my neck and so on, we're uh, we're working to uh, keep me exercised around all that. So yeah. yeah, very important to stay fit.
0: I don't know. I've got a Pizza Hut uh, menu here. I think I'll just go back to doing that. I can't break our any big- more knees ordering Pizza Hut, can I?
2: Mate, our biggest problem is um, our
0: wonderful wives are such excellent cooks. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Okay, uh, two more shout-outs. Grant, you've got one here on the list for our good friends at the Royal Australian Air Force. Great guys and girls. Yeah.
2: Yeah, excellent bunch. And uh, just like to do a big shout out to uh, everyone in media liaison at the RAAF. Uh, we've got a number of individuals that we've dealt with in the past and are currently dealing with, plus the the crew in general who look after all the media liaison operate work, either at the uh, high level or at the individual uh, group levels. Thanks, folks. Uh, really appreciated that invite to come and fly on the C-130. And uh, we're looking forward to catching up with probably, I'd say almost all of you at Point Cook. So mm. yeah, thanks, gang.
0: Yeah, so be warned. We'll be there with our notoriously uh, clunky recording devices.
2: And our huge list of uh, people and uh,
0: groups that we want to talk to. <laughs> I'm putting it together today. They must shudder when they see us coming. Grand. It's a wonder they speak to us at all. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know how
2: we're managing to fluke that, but they, they seem to say hi guys and smile. They, they must be part of that PR liaison type of role to learn how to say hi to people you want to go oh no not
0: you again yeah well long may it continue but you know there's you know it's it's all about uh, bringing uh, aspects of aviation in australia you know to the aviation community here and uh, you know when it comes to that sort of thing i mean the, you know the air force is obviously about the highest you know, probably between them and quantas i guess they're probably the two uh, big players on the block when it comes to uh you know pr and all that sort of stuff so always good to get out there and uh, show people that you know if you work hard enough that you too can uh, get out there and be a member of uh either of those groups i guess yeah Well, there is always that, but
2: uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone at Point Cook. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Now, Grant. As we record this, I should mention: last night on uh, the Seven Network, I got to uh, watch Top Gun for about the hey. 8 million and 54th time.
2: Yeah. Did you uh, tune out for the boring bits and just watch the aircraft?
0: Absolutely. Oh, have I ever told you folks about the uh, you know the abridged version that a friend of mine in the states and I made for Top Gun? <laughs> it goes for about <laughs> thirty-six minutes.
2: Flying, <laughs> flying, <laughs> flying, 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 flying. Kelly McGillis and flying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, yeah, the reason I mention that Grant is uh, not because I like that movie so much. In fact, there is a twitter feed out that i wanted to mention if you're on twitter if you follow the handle 555 uhz or z if you're american so uh, 555 uniform hotel zulu and uh, they're actually uh, putting every half an hour a screenshot of uh, top gun so they're presenting the entire movie frame by frame (laughs) it's it's very interesting actually that's so scary It's awesome. I've been retweeting a few of them on the PCDU feed. So, triple <laughs> you know, five UHZ, folks, get out there and uh, subscribe to that if you're in the Twitterverse. Oh, dear. It's that a requirement be. if you're an AV geek. I know, I know, but that could be the slowest way for me to ever watch Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, well, I've always got that. Uh, it's on a videotape for my bridge version, Grant. I, I don't know if I actually have a device capable of playing it anymore.
2: <laughs> you may have to take it somewhere where you can get it converted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up the episode. Another uh, fantastic one. Uh, apologies for the lateness of getting it out, but uh, as you can see, we've, we've had a few other things getting in the way lately, but uh, you know, you can always catch up with us, we've been out doing things, of course we've got the videos coming out now, we've still got the uh, Playing Crazy Down Under radio show going out on King Lake Rangers Radio, Seymour FM and uh, up there in Yes as well on Yes FM, and uh, of course, you know, we, we welcome uh, any other community stations that would like to play the uh, the series, we've got uh, I think 14 of them now in the can, and uh, they're available for free to uh, any uh, community radio station who'd like to use us, just drop us a line, contact at playingcrazydownunder.com we'll be happy to uh, provide you with any access to that but uh, Grant I think we'll uh, wrap it up here Uh, now what are you going to do now that you've now that you've got the wedding out the way Grant and you've had that vent about ballooning uh, when you uh, I guess your week's complete
2: I wish I have to go and edit some more content and uh, it looks like creating a blog you realise you've destroyed things for me now because I'm now rapidly scrolling back and forth through 555 Uniform Hotel Zulu on Twitter and going oh my god he is doing almost but not quite frame by frame this is scary I love it all my productivity shot to heck thanks to this (laughs)
0: okay well I'm going to leave you watching net grant and i'm going to uh, leave our audience hanging until the next time folks we'll be back very soon with another episode of playing crazy down under get there there and uh, see us at the uh, point cook air show and if you can't get out to that uh, we'd love to see you down there at the uh, tire Air show as well until then if you're down here in australia and you're looking around for anything aviation related well i guess you should always remember this it's what's down under that counts folks you've been listening to plane crazy down under hosted by steve visher and grant mccarran You can find us on Twitter as PCDU and for more information about the team, feedback, storylines you'd like us to follow or any advertising inquiries, go to our website,
7: plaincrazydownunder.com. Plain Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production.
0: not going back to those really old episodes are you mate
2: i'm looking at the show notes oh here we go yeah episode six our first guest discussion session max flight from the airplane geeks podcast and our first interview carlo santoro that was episode six truth okay and maddie hall came in we we did it after five episodes were out but he came in in episode seven all we've got to do is pull that episode off the server oh there you go yeah but it was never
7: there uh, and classic Hornet uh, performing uh, aerobatics, <laughs> and we just had a little aerobatic display there. Do your planes work better than your signs? <laughs> now, now that's that's a very journalistic question, <laughs> and I'm not going to answer that. Um, so, uh, in fact,
2: no, actually, I'll put those two together. Oh, hang on, she who must be bade calling. Just
0: a sec. it's all different Hello, hang hey,
2: Yep, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec.
0: We're just pausing the interview. Ah, You see, dear listeners, this is what happens now Grant is married. Beforehand, it was all about the podcast. No, but not now. Now it's all about, you know, doing husbandly things, going shopping, doing chores around the house. No, 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 the podcast is not as important as it used to be. We had a good thing going here at one point, but no, now he's left us all to go and get married. This is what happens. It's all right, Grant. I'll just sit here and carry on. I can edit this big gap out. It's all right, mate. (laughs) He's going to kill me when I put this in the outtakes.
2: Okay. Cool. Bye. I feel ill. Yeah. Oh, hello, mate. Welcome Uh, back. Tangled cords. Ah. And he's back. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Hangar49 and Extended. Uh,
0: And RLF for inviting us. That's right. Well, we've been married, unlike you, Grant, I've been married for 20 years. <laughs> you've, been, yeah, well, you've been married well, for 20 minutes. So. <laughs> oh, no, not even 20 days. But <laughs> That was a very nasty thing to say. Oh, but it's so you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant, she's been stuck with me for 20 20- What's your first shout-out, mate?
2: I was just going to say... Uh, Before I get into any more trouble. Uh, too late. Uh, there was that scene with you on the couch and the bell. But anyhow, <laughs> oh honey, tinkle, tingle, tingle. I uh, thought I deleted that. <laughs> moving right along.